Um, when we attended Mabel Chapel before we came here to the peak, he was my pastor. And I don't think he's been a peak since we've been here. I'm really, really looking forward to hearing him speak. And I'll tell you a little something about Brother John. It would quite often, he would walk up to the pulpit and he didn't this morning. I was almost disappointed. He only has one book this morning, but quite often he would have a stack of books that he'd bring to the pulpit with him. I loved it when he did that because I knew we were going to get we were going to get a, a full barrel. But I, I'm expecting a full barrel this morning too. So anyway, I'll turn the time over to Brother John. A greeting in the Master's name. I do have 66 books with me this morning. <laughs> uh, uh, just a little bit of a side note. Uh, I don't know how many of you noticed uh uh, on our drive out here, the, the cloud formations were so different, just unusual, and we enjoyed that. Okay, listen carefully. <clears throat> when I think of the wisdom and scope of God's plan, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now glory be to God. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through endless ages. Amen. And that was Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 from the Living Bible. Now that's a, uh, that's a paraphrase, not a translation. Although um, I have read, I think, or uh, sometimes uh, it's encouraged that when you're studying the scripture or in your personal devotions, especially if you're just taking a few verses at a time, to rewrite it in your own words. What does it mean? You see, uh, most of us have been exposed to these truths from little up, and we've been kind of inoculated against it. Uh, it's people reading these truths for the first time it's it's just fantastic. It's just unbelievable. God's plan and what he has told us in the word. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, the... Um, what we sometimes read here for relating to the Christmas story. 
um, verses 18 to 23. Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, <clears throat> before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, <coughs> Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That uh, verse there, 23, of course, is quoting Isaiah 7, 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is the title of the message this morning. Emmanuel means God with us. <clears throat> and that's, that's, a, um, that's a concept that we really can't understand or grasp. How God, <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the creator of the universe... I mean, um, okay, you, you can go to Greek mythology and they have all these gods that were just um, super, super humans and all their depravity, okay, and all the interactions, so on. But for, but for God to actually become a man, how could a God become a man? How could God become a man? But that's what it's all about. Emmanuel, God with us. First uh, Timothy 3.16. This is another one of those 3.16s. There's several 3.16s. Well, there's lots of 3.16s in the Bible, but I mean some that just kind of stand out. John 3.16. Here's another one. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Well, that's the whole range there, but the one we're focusing on this morning is God was manifest in the flesh. Manifest means to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. Um, God revealed himself in the flesh, in, in a person. Um, read something here from an, uh, just for you um, that was first came out like 50 years ago and then it was redone about 20 years ago. Um, one Christmas morning, a young man... And I, I don't know. I don't think this was a made-up story, but but I don't know. 
<clears throat> One Christmas morning, a young man stood gazing vacantly through a window. He shook his prematurely graying head. If he could only silence his memory. Other Christmas mornings had been so different, so happy. He had always gone with his wife to church and rejoiced in hearing the Christmas story. Belief in Christ had been easy. But then doubts had crept in. Was Jesus really God? Why did God need to become a man? Could not God have helped the human race without coming to earth as a man? Questions, questions, questions. They had driven him to deep doubts and utter confusion. No, he just could no longer believe that Jesus had actually been God. Oh, he supposed he still believed in God. Probably there was a God somewhere, but the young man did not think people could really know much about him. He saw no real meaning in Christmas anymore. So here he was at home, lonely. For the first time on a Christmas day, his wife had gone to church without him. He shook his head again and shifted his weight from his right foot to his left. He simply must forget. Thud. He jerked away from the window. Thud. Thud. The noise jarred him out of the past and into the present. Thud. Birds were flying against the window pane. But why? Peering upward, he noticed that the sky had darkened with clouds. A faltering whine singled the rising of the wind. A few snowflakes flitted past the window. The unseasonably warm weather had given way to sudden cold. Winter had come at last. The thuds against the pane continued. In a flash, the young man understood why. The birds were robins. They had failed to migrate because of the prolonged warm spell. Now they were trying to find protection in the warmth of the house. The plight of the helpless birds touched the man's heart. His eyes dropped to the barn at the edge of the lawn. There, that was the answer. He would open the barn doors and drive the birds into the barn. Outside, after opening the barn doors, he found the robins beside the hedge leading to the barn. He chased them along the hedge toward the barn doors. Once near the doors, the robins stopped, seemingly frightened by the darkness within. The man waved his arms, but the startled birds only flew into the air. They fluttered up over the barn, not into it. After circling the house, the flock huddled beside the hedge again. Once again, the young man tried to drive them into the barn, but failed. The third trial also ended without success. By this time, the young man realized he would have to give up trying to help the robins. As much as he wanted to help them, he could not make them understand. They were birds, and he was a man. The vast difference frightened them. They could not tell that he really did want to help them. If only I could become a robin for a few moments, he murmured to himself. Before he had uttered the last word, the absurdity of his doubt about Jesus struck him. Why, of course, Jesus, the Son of God, had to become a man so that man could understand God's desire to help him. Man was not alone with his problems. God had spoken in man's language by coming to earth as a man. This, my friend, is the beautiful message of Christmas. The Word, Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> uh, in fact, turn, turn to that verse in your Bible, uh, John 1.14.
John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It says the word was made flesh, and uh, I suppose another title for the message could be incarnation. So different focus or emphasis, but incarnation means becoming flesh. And so, yeah, God became a man. God um, we're, we're, we're flesh and blood. God, God is spirit. Well, we are too, but we're flesh and blood. And, and so, so God took on this form. It, it's really amazing. God incarnate. God clothed in a human body in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's just look at a couple more verses that give the same idea. Philippians 2, verse 8. Philippians 2, verse 8. <clears throat> and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But being found in fashion as a man is all about the incarnation, Jesus becoming a person, a man. Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Uh, that this uh, writing about the Robins, of course, it emphasized the fact that God became man so that we could better understand him. God understands us, but by him becoming a man, we can better understand him. And But this, this verse, of course, goes far beyond that. In other words, he didn't, he, Jesus Christ was God's full and final revelation. So he was revealing himself to man, but he also needed to become a man so he could die. Gods don't die. So he had to become a man so he could die for us. And so that's that's another part of it. Um, and I like to go even a little farther than that. Let's go to John 14, 20. John 14, 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Now, Christmas, we think about Jesus coming as a baby, God becoming man. God taking on the form of a 
a man, God becoming a person and living among men, living among men. And so I think about what it says in First John, where, where John says, uh, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. And he goes on to really emphasize the, the interaction they had there with Jesus and how they learned to know him because they lived with him. We think that would have been amazing. But this verse says, at that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. What's, what's almost more amazing than God becoming a man. Okay, the incarnation is Jesus dwelling in flesh. Incarnation. But we're flesh and blood. And God dwells in us. How can God live in me? And here again, we just, well, we just always knowing that, and that's just the way it is. And we were not very impressed. Um, and so again, those verses in Ephesians, uh, maybe I should read them from the King James. Uh, Ephesians 3, again, 17 to 19. that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> now... <laughs> Try to believe that, that you and me are filled with all the fullness of God. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I guess another title for the message could be indwelt. So we have Emmanuel, <clears throat> God with us. We have the incarnation, Christ in flesh. But then <clears throat> here it's God actually dwelling in me. Uh, let's turn to Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27. <clears throat> to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a place that feels as though it's beyond hope. It has existed on the fringes of Cairo for generations, a maze of crumbling dark dwellings and narrow streets of packed dirt trodden by emaciated donkeys pulling wooden carts towering with stacks of rubbish. 
This is the place where the garbage pickers live. 50,000 of them, they pick up and sort greater Cairo's waste, the trash of 22 million people, and recycle what they can for a few coins a day. They separate rotting food, used diapers, hypodermic needles, broken glass, plastic, metal, and crumpled paper. They live in sewage, disease, and stench. There is little clean water. Among many families, violence, addictions, and abuse are a way of life. Electricity is scarce, and the nights are full of dangers. Almost half the children born here will die before they are five years old. Some starve, some succumb to dysentery. The residents of this place are known in Arabic as the Zabaline, garbage people. And this book is about, uh, it's called Mama Maggie. It's about Maggie Gobrin. She was born into and raised in a privileged elite uh, Egyptian family, Egyptian Coptic Christian. And uh, she became a um, marketing executive for a number of international companies. She taught, she was a professor of computer science at, uh, at uh, American University in Cairo. And uh, it's been a while since I read uh, the whole book. But uh, somehow there was an interaction with her, somehow Providence brought her into interaction with these garbage people. And she began ministering to them. And she became famous, um, a sort of a Mother Teresa of Egypt. She was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2012, 2020. Neither time did she get it. It was given to people with better political connections. But um, so like I say, she became popular well-known around the world. And uh, this is an account here of um, when she was invited to speak at some high-powered audience <clears throat> in Chicago in 2011. Mama Maggie continued to travel the world and returned to the United States occasionally, but perhaps her most dramatic visit was in 2011. She was invited to speak at a global leadership summit hosted at Willow Creek, a church in a suburb of Chicago. Several thousand people filled its main auditorium. The session was also broadcast by satellite to 430 other sites around the world to a total audience of 170,000 people seeking to learn about leadership. The tone was thoughtful, a gathering of postmodern, high-achieving individuals swigging their Starbucks and jotting notes on their electronic devices as they listened to internationally renowned leaders, most attired in casual Friday jeans and untucked shirts, the power suit of the 21st century. On the second day of the summit, Mama Maggie appeared at the podium, swathed in her white long skirt, long sleeve shirt, shawl, head covering, and well-worn sandals. She did not strive forward and take the stage as persuasive speakers tend to do. There was no opening joke to disarm the crowd, no high energy possession of the microphone, no PowerPoint or upbeat intro music. 
Instead, she looked gently at the people around her, smiled, and bowed her head. Her audience here was not made up of needy children or illiterate mothers. These were people with every advantage, sophisticated leaders, strategic thinkers who care about social justice, <clears throat> who make it their business to help others. Mama Maggie's speech, simple speech, was delivered in her soft, accented English. She gave insights into her own decision to expand her life helping the poor. She alluded to great mysteries about what God can do in a person's life. She held no power in their society, but it was clear to the audience that she was speaking with great authority. This recognition escalated in the huge auditorium as she began to share the joys of loving the unloved. With each word, listeners gradually put down their pens and phones. <clears throat> Many found themselves in tears they could not explain. As Mama Maggie finished talking, she said, I would like to end my presentation by thanking and blessing you. She then went down to the foot of the podium, touched her head to the carpet, kissed the ground, and lay prostrate. No one lies on the floor in America. As Maggie lay quietly, something happened. Audience members slowly began to rise to their feet. Soon everyone was standing quietly, stopping and bathing in the moment. It was the rarest reaction that could occur in the verbal, left brain, media-driven, over-analysis, soundbite culture of the West. Silence. Here were these thousands of people in this audience standing to their feet, there was no clapping. There were no hurrahs and whistling. There were no streamers. Just this total auditorium of thousands of people standing in silence. Why? As one attendee put it, she is very smart, but that is not the answer. She also helps people, but that is not the answer. The answer is the whatever it is that radiates from a person who decides to walk in humble submission in the ways of God. Mama Maggie did not scold or condemn and certainly did not force her way. Nevertheless, when she finished speaking, everyone watching her suddenly wanted what she has and wanted it more than anything else on earth but it was not words that began creating a sense of awe among those who heard her. It was presence. Something was pouring out of her, through her, and into those who were listening to her. In John 7, 37-38, Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly or inner being shall flow rivers of living water.
What, what do people sense from my presence? What flows out of my inner being? You know, uh, one time there was a storm And when Jesus addressed the storm, he said, peace, be still. And sometimes there's, um, there's troubled waters around us. <clears throat> and I think Jesus would want to speak through us, peace, be still. Is that what is that what people sense from my presence, my words, my actions, my attitudes? Let's turn to John seventeen twenty six. You recognize this as part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. <clears throat> John seventeen twenty six, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Is Christ in me? How thoroughly, how fully. Uh, let's turn to a couple other verses in John. John 5, verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. And here's the part I wanted. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So Christ dwelling within me now. Okay, Galatians 2.20 says, Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And Christ, while he was living in the flesh, he said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Is that characteristic of my presence? The, like Mama Maggie's presence there in that audience and what went out from her to that audience. Is that what goes out from me to the people around me? That mentality. Uh, John 8, John 8, verses 28 and uh, 29, uh, the last part of verse 28. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So are my, are my words and my will totally his? Uh, let's turn yet to 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22 for one more thought along this line. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22. 
For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And we know that beautiful verse there in Luke, Luke 4, I believe it is, maybe. They wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Is that from the from the indwelling Christ? Christ, yes, dwelling in flesh. Let's uh, see, First Corinthians six. Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Anyway, Christ dwelling in me, and is that what comes out? They want that people wonder the gracious words that, that come out of my mouth. So Emmanuel, God with us, incarnation, God in us. Yeah, here it I have it written down, first Corinthians three sixteen. Know you not you're the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you, Galatians two twenty, I already referred to, where Paul said, you know, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And he also said, I die daily. And that goes together. I die daily in Christ living in me. It's going to be either it's going to either be me or Christ. So with Christ living in me, to the extent or so that people wonder to gracious words that come out of my mouth, that from my inner being flows rivers of living water, that people sense his presence in my life. So may may we, going back to Ephesians 3, uh, might that be the reality in our lives. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. There's a, a poem already I've shared with teachers called Indwelt. And I'll just, uh, it's a short poem. I'll just read, though, the last part of it. To me, t'was not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me still dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes, he beckons me. And from your lips, his love is red. Till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. May it ever be so.